to a special Mythosophia edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And uh, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Selena, and I thank you so much for being with us again here on uh, the program today. It's really, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, and I know you have too. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's It's terrific. I'm excited about these programs. I really am because I learned so much of what I didn't know and what I wish I had gotten a little bit more of when I was in school. Uh, And I know that you and I, we know uh, Mr. Ph.D. of mythology, mythological studies, Will Lin, Dr. Will Lin. I have to call him that now. It's just disconcerting because he was no doctor, you know, and he won't check out the pain in my arm. In any event, I find mythology fascinating, but we have an interesting subject and a very interesting guest. Share with us uh, what it is we're going to be talking about with whom we will be discussing. Well, we have an exciting show today called Living Your Mythic Journey with Dr. Cindy Lindsay, who is um, going to guide us on our mythic journeys. So I'm very excited to introduce her. Um, Dr. Lindsay, um, thank you for being here and participating in this show today. My total pleasure. (laughs) I I do have to stop you and ask you, uh, uh, Dr. Lindsay, of the items that you have around you. I, I, I love the... The background, if you will. I hope it's a real one, uh, but if it's not, I'd love to know what those are in your background. Well, this is my healing room. This is where I, I uh, deal with clients. Back here is that's a Mother Mary in that uh, mm-hmm. circle there. Um, here I have some lingams, which are part of the Vedic tradition that I work in, as well as Mother Mary and Jesus are part of that lineage. So I have some pictures of Mother Mary and Jesus and lingams and a cross and so on behind me, all of which are aspects of my work. Well, I'll tell you, I think that we're going to have to have you back for another program just within the context of of, uh, Tell Me Your Story. But, um, Selena, this is interesting because I don't want to say that this is right up my alley, but it is in the sense of what I have been through. Now, you have listened to and watched a video I sent you a link to. Just recently. And you gave me five stars, which I appreciate. The, and what it is, folks, is it's a song that I wrote over the last few months that I turned into, I guess, my first music video. But it has to do with the subject we're talking about, about the mythical hero's journey that I went through. And I maybe in one sense I'm still going through that seems to be something that we face on a regular basis, isn't it, Selena? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but before we actually go into that, I would like to introduce Dr. Lindsay so everybody knows who she is and and uh, where she's coming from. So Dr. Lindsay is a PhD, so from the University of California, Irvine. She was a professor of psychology for many years. And then she went on a mythic journey through the Inca traditions and the Vedic traditions and presently works as a soul healer in Taos, New Mexico, practicing specifically from the Vedic traditions. So all the the you know, the different things that she has in her background are all part of it. It encompasses her world. And we all have different objects from all of our worlds that are part of our own mythic journeys. And so she's going to, you know, really talk to us about uh, what it is to actually live our mythic journey. And like, like you said, you are living your mythic journey right now. And, uh, uh, Dr. Lindsay, I would say that um, from my own personal experience, living one's mythic journey is not always easy. <laughs> Absolutely right there. Um, in fact, it's trying to take a much higher perspective on the life that we're living. Because we're, we're living in a world in which there are daily events and things that hurt us and things that happened in our childhood and people, so he says this and she says that, and we get all caught up in that. And that actually is the greater suffering from this perspective, but it's hard to pull out of that and come into an understanding of what we're doing here 
as a journey of the soul, as a larger consciousness state of the real meaning and the real purpose of our lives. And when we get into that state, it actually reduces that suffering. But making the leap there, that's the trick. How do you get there? And what does it mean once you're there? How do you hold on to that? How do you address your life from that place that releases the, the suffering of everyday life and gives it a much greater purpose and meaning? So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about living the mythic journey is to really understand, well, from my perspective, that we are all particles of God. Mm. We are not separate from one another. We are not separate from God. And in fact, in the Vedic tradition, we are particles of God trying to know his, herself. So we are instruments of a larger divine. And if we hold within us a God within, or, you know, it could be any religion, the higher self, a, a spiritual sense, your soul. We have a light inside of us that if we use that to flash as a flashlight on our reality, our reality changes. Because we're not just bodies here who happen to have a soul. Mm -hmm. In this belief system, we are souls who came here for the purpose of advancing ourselves, our own soul energy, transcending our own difficulties, and advancing the larger consciousness of God. So if that's the truth, then we can look at our lives from that perspective. We completely enter our lives and respond in our lives from a different place. Well, now, I know that as we talk about this, um, I was discussing with um, a, a guest on another program the aspect of uh, dealing with and going through the hero's journey as we are talking here in terms of the traumas that we've experienced from our past and those things kind of come up. And then talking about the connection and the the true self, which is, as you've sort of alluded to already, the divine aspect of us, that we are sort of, we are sort of uh, uh, holograms of the divine. And I remember in a, a movie I saw in school, in, in high school, where they were talking about holograms, they had this huge sheet of glass that they had imprinted a hologram on. Then they broke the glass into several mm -hmm. pieces, and every single piece contained the whole image, not a piece yeah. of it, but the whole thing. So if we, so that's why I use that, con that, that term of the hologram. But the point I'm getting to is that, that, that my guest was getting to also, and I asked her about the dichotomy between, okay, you've got the traumatic side of you, the emotions and all of that thing that you've got to deal with and get through the hero's journey. But then you also have the divine side. You know, you have the, 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 you know, that part of you that has nothing to do with, I am not my skin. I'm not my bones. I'm not my blood. I am not my tissue. I am not any of those things. Which means that the person who was abused decades ago doesn't exist anymore. So why am I holding on to all of this stuff and going through this over and over again? That's sort of the paradox that I see. Is that that seems to be sort of part of part of what we're talking about here today? Am I am I on the right track or have I gone uh, off into the ditch? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're still on the same track okay, as I am. Okay, good, good. In, in that, of course, we have abuse in our childhoods and we have bad marriages and we have all sorts of things that happen in our lives. We have tough relationships. We lose a job, whatever it might be. If the, those are those events inside what I consider to be an illusion, it, it, events inside this life of the body, as you were talking about. And it's really a matter of consciousness shift, in my opinion. It's really a matter of changing where you're entering into that play. Because we already have the God self within us. We're just not paying attention to it. We're just not using that as our flashlight on those experiences. If we can shift our consciousness to the nature of our soul, to the, to the fundamental essence of who we are, but also to the essence of the divine that is within us, and re-look at, re-enter into those events in our lives, we enter them differently. So let me give you an example of that. 
I have a, a lovely lady who's a client of mine. She is a very spiritual human being. She has spent a lot of her life just caring for other people and being amazing, loving support and to her children, to the community, to everybody. She knows that the sole beautiful part of her is that love. She knows that's her essence. She absolutely has that concept already. So she already has a little bit of that perspective, that state of consciousness we're talking about. But um, she had a husband who was, who was the father of her children who passed away while her children were still relatively young. Then she remarried fairly quickly and got into a marriage that didn't work well. And as loving and as beautiful as she was, it didn't cross that divide. For, you know, and they ended up in a divorce. And the divorce was really, really ugly. Um, the ex-husband or the ex-husband-to-be was very mean. He got his family on his side. They were trying to take her resources and her home and blah, 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 blah. We don't have to go into those details. But it was enough to pull her out of that state of consciousness. I'm a beautiful, loving human being. And this is what I do with my life. And this is how I enter my life. Because there was just so much nastiness in this divorce. And so what we we worked with her about is releasing the pain from those things. You have to release that first. I think that's what you were talking about. How can we mm-hmm. hang on mm-hmm. to this stuff? Yeah. You have to release that pain. You have to unblock it. My Vedic belief system, you have to unblock that from the chakras. So it's actually stick, sticking in there, in your energy system in a way that you, it's hard to remove yourself. So we remove that pain. We release that pain. We let her talk about it. But then we get her back to that state of consciousness of who she truly is. And how she wants to meet this situation. She wanted to meet that situation as her true self. As that same loving being that she had been all of her life. And even if this was the nastiest thing she'd ever encountered, uh, second only to the death of the first husband, she wanted to meet it from that state of love. And we gave her little, little things to keep reminding her and keep going back to so that she could keep pulling herself back to that state, no matter what nastiness came her way. And she did a miraculous, amazing job of that. She's a pretty high, amazing human being. And it ended up with a better settlement for her. But you know what the long-term piece of this is? That a year or so later after all of this, she, she stood in it from unconditional love at every moment that she could. Mm. She met a man a year later who... Now, eight or ten years later, I can't even remember how long it's been. They're still together. It's a beautiful, loving relationship. She gets as much love back in that relationship as she gives out, which is to say, is saying a lot about this woman. So you see, it's how you enter the, in, these difficult engagements of your life that actually sows the seeds of the next creation. Every time you're entering into some kind of destruction, whether it's a seeds a situation of abuse or divorce or loss of job or whatever it might be, how you enter that, the state of consciousness you focus on in that that causes your actions, that is the seeds for that next creation. Mm. So she not only did a beautiful job of holding on to the higher state of consciousness, but in doing that, she created for herself the love she actually deserved. So what you're saying, Cindy, is the state of consciousness is the actual pivoting factor for change to occur occur, or transformation to occur. Excellent. Yeah. Can you speak more about that and talk about your own personal experience as well? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, you know, maybe we should define consciousness a little because it's something everybody says and nobody seems to know exactly what they're talking about. And there are lots of different different definitions. There's definitions in Webster's like be awake and aware. And then there's also definitions from um, psychology, which have to do more with self-awareness. And there's even definitions inside physics and, and med- medicine nowadays. So what are we really talking about as consciousness? I, I really like the, um, like in the 70s, I think this is the first time I ever heard about it from Rupert Sheldrake, the notion that there is a larger field of energy that is guiding our actions and interactions, that is a template, that is a, a uh, map for how we behave, and that larger field of energy we are inputting to and we're receiving from. And that's, that's one kind of definition of consciousness. And then, of course, we have these amazing debates between David Bohm, who's a noted physicist, 
and Krishnamurti, who is a, a amazing spiritual master. And they go back and forth on what is the state of consciousness. And they come up with the same notion that there are fields of energy that are guiding principles to our viewing, understanding, relating, interacting in our world that we tap into. And that there are lower states of consciousness, like the consciousness of greed and anger and fear. And there are higher states of consciousness, the highest being the state of our own souls and the state of the great soul of all things of God. So that's the kind of consciousness shift we're talking about. We're talking about reaching that state of a larger field of energy that we're, called, we're using the word God for today, which could also be Atman or soul or higher self. But we're reaching a state of consciousness that is an overarching guide to our reality. That it's not just our personal awareness anymore. It is a larger field of energy from which we draw our personal awareness. So that shift, that's the essential shift into the state of consciousness, which is connected to a larger whole that is of God or the higher self or the soul or however you wish to name it. You're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. This is the Myth of Sophia edition. I'm Richard Dugan, along with Dr. Selena Matthews. And we're talking with Dr. Cindy Lindsay. And we're talking about the uh, mythical heroes, the mythology of the hero's journey here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And I'm thankful that we are here talking about this because it seems as though uh, both doctors, (laughs) if you will, uh, Selena and uh, Cindy, that... Many more people have sort of been thrust into the hero's journey than we ever would have thought uh, in in the era in which we are living. And I refer to that era as the COVID era. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, something that we're dealing with right now. Well, no question about that. Um, well, in fact, my belief system is that we're all on the hero's journey at all times. But we're just most more aware of it when there's a lot of difficulty, confusion, negativity, animosity going on around us, when there's fear, when there's things that seem to threaten our lives. All of these things are happening now in this COVID era as you're talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think we just, it just becomes more acute. It becomes more, um, we're more aware that, that we are marching through something, that we need a greater state of consciousness to understand, to deal with, and to make it through. How do we do that, though? I mean, how do we make it through? Okay, so let me, let me give you my own example. I, um, this is an example about going through cancer. I spent the last couple of years with breast cancer and going through that whole, as anybody who's been on a cancer journey knows, oh my gosh, the difficulty, the pain, the, the doctors, the tests, the... the the things that are supposed to cure you, the, the, <laughs> the thousand fears that are there and the surgeries and all of that is, can really pull you in, out of a divine state of consciousness and just into suffering or just trying to make it through those experiences. That, I'm fine now, so let nobody write in wondering if I'm okay. I'm fine now. I'm, I'm, I'm cancer-free. But at the beginning of my journey there through cancer, which is one of those difficult things in the world, you know, that you have to meet, um, I was asleep. I actually thought I, I had no, I had consciousness of no way about cancer. Nobody in my family had ever had cancer. I didn't have any genes of cancer. I wasn't doing self-breast exams. I, I, not even in my thoughts was any notion of cancer. But one night I was asleep, and I, in a dream, I heard a voice say to me, uh, put your hand on your left breast. And I immediately woke up from this dream. And that's one of the ways you can tell when it's a soul-related dream or a numinous dream is that you have this very clear notion and oftentimes you'll wake up after it. So I received that message and immediately, knowing that that was an important message, I reached over and placed my hand on my left breast. And there was a humongous lump in there. I, I don't know how I've ever missed it before. It was so huge. How could this possibly be? But in that moment... Because I had been awakened from a dream to find this, being told to find this, though there was the shock of what, 
you know, how could I ever miss this? This is huge. There was also a deep sense in me that the divine had saved me in that moment, that I was here for a purpose, that I was going to have to live beyond this because there was something the divine saved me for. And I was able to enter into that process from that belief system, from that sort of larger journey of the soul, hero's journey notion, that there was a, there was a purpose to this. And that they could have easily not saved me. I certainly wouldn't have saved myself. By the time we got to surgery, it had started to go into the lymph nodes. So if I if I ignored it for longer, I'd be in metastasis. Now we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the the essential shift of consciousness I needed to walk through that particular difficult journey. And each one of us needs some essential shift of consciousness because. As we're walking through, we are going to get pulled into the pain and the difficulty and the hassle of it all. And it is going to poke up old things from our childhood and so on that we need to face. So how is it that we keep cueing ourselves back into that state? For me, it was this idea that God had saved me and saved me obviously for a reason, that I needed to live beyond this for something. And so I was going to do that even if it was hard, even if it was difficult, even if I felt I couldn't take it at times, then I would cue that up in me again and just go back to that notion and start back on that track. And that's what we all need during difficult times, whether it's COVID timing or any personal difficult time in our life. We need that touchstone of the nature of our own soul. We need that touchstone back to who we truly are and why this is happening to us at a larger level of God. It's almost as if the essential question is, why God? You know, we get to those places in our lives where we ask, why God? Why why is this happening? But that is the essential question. Why? Why at the God level? Why at the level of our souls is this happening now? And if we can keep going back to that and back to that, we find our way through this in a way that we couldn't have come up with ourselves. Cindy, there's a question I really want to ask you. Is there a difference between the hero's journey and the mythic journey? And if there is, let me know what that is, because I'm I just want clarification in that. Well, I you know I think they could be used interchangeably if we wanted to. But I, I like the vision from the Vedic tradition where there's a, a larger issue of the Atman, the great soul, which I would call that's for me the mythic state. That's the state of the larger understanding of the larger oversee. And then there's, in that tradition, there's not there's the Atman, which is the larger overarching soul of God and everyone. And then there's the Atma, which is the personal soul, which is a beautiful sparkling light of, particle of God. And then there's the jiva, which is the soul, which is actually the one that is that is covered with the illusion of this world. And I think the jiva is the one who is the hero walking through the journey, trying to remember Atma, trying to remember the soul, trying to remember the true self, trying to trying to connect into that true self inside the context of the larger mythic journey of Atman. I, I find this very interesting as we, we transcend cultures, we transcend philosophies, that a lot of these messages are somewhat the same, which mm-hmm. is actually a good thing because it says, hey, there's some continuity in the universe, you know, and that we are not as different as a lot of people would like to think we are. Um, I've often said it, uh, uh, Dr. Lindsay, that we all experienced exa- experience exactly the same emotions. That's what makes us alike, similar, the same. It's our stories that make us unique. Not different, but unique. Mm-hmm. And how important is it for us to share our mythic hero's journey with others? Well, I think um, it becomes important for me personally to share it when it will lift somebody else to their mythic understanding of their own journey, when it will connect into their soul, or when it will 
lighten some burden or some pain that they've had because they can see how I or another person have been able to walk through the same thing, but from a different perspective. So I think the sharing around that is really important because it lifts us all into an, an opportunity in our own lives because we are all interconnected because we all do have similarities even though we have our own, we have our own track through that mm-hmm. because that allows us to see, hey, somebody else saw this, experienced this, went through this too, but had a completely different perspective on it or a completely different experience of it. And I think that's really important for sharing. Why did this become such an interest for you? Uh, because I think the, the switch to the Vedic approach of doing healing of my belief system and of my interconnections really taught me that this world that we think is so important and everything and all these things we do and jobs we have and people we meet are somehow the only thing happening here. When I found this Vedic perspective and really realized there is, that this is an illusion and that there's something real happening there of the soul and the journey of the soul, to me that was that was the answer. It was the way out of this kind of mundane sufferings and joys, ups and downs, lefts and rights, that duality. It was a way into the oneness of God that I had been seeking. And so that's why it's important to me to help other people to find the same thing, that they are not just trapped in the daily life of tit for tat and whatever may be happening around them, that they are greater than that. And that that standing in that greatness gives a perspective to all of that that lifts and enlivens and transforms. Are there some techniques that you use to facilitate this? Can you go into that? Uh, yeah, uh, basically, yes. There, well, now in the Vedic belief system, um, that Atma, that soul that is covered, it's jiva, there are blockages, there are experiences in the life, there are past karmas, there are all sorts of things that are interfering with our ability to reach that atma, to reach that soul essence. And so the first real thing is to try and move some of those things out of the way, you know. And I think you do that very well in your practice as well, you know, that we have to look at some of these things that are blocking our consciousness of the true self first. And we have to start unpacking those. So, and then the Vedic tradition, it's through clearing of the chakras and so on and so forth. But there are many ways to address that, of course, which are highly valuable. But we do that work first. And then we try and give a taste of the true self. Some people have no idea. You know, their true self is the suffering person who was, who was abused as a child. That's what they believe they are. And they act from that and they interact from that and they cry about that and they they torture themselves around it. You know, they don't have an experience of that light that is within them. And so that's really the next step is to get them that experience of that. And I I know you know probably from your own practice that when people feel that, it's it's expansive. It's different, it's different from what they've ever felt. There's a there's an expansion to it, there's a peace to it, there is a central feeling of love and being loved that is inside that experience of our true of our true nature. Well, and now, when people can feel that, mm-hmm. then they have the taste, they have a little bit of the touchstone to go back to, and then there are other practices to engage. Um, meditation, um, looking at the dreams, all the things that will get us to a connection to that true self. I happen to like a a couple of things to just try and pull people's consciousness out of kind of the everyday mundane reality and into a different kind of almost magical God reality. And um, this one of them I call talking to the angels or going out to talk to the angels or play with the angels so I send them into nature, for example, and I say, pose a question. First of all, get yourself centered. Do your breathing. Breathing practices help. Meditation helps. So do your breathing. Do a little meditation. Then pose a question to the nature. And 
read everything that happens as if it's dream symbols, you know, as if, as if it's the answer coming in a dream around you. And they have amazing experiences from this. They go out, they ask, why am I so upset today? So for example, and a squirrel runs across their path and it's chirping and chirping and chirping and doing this and doing that and running here and running there. And all of a sudden they go, oh, oh, because I'm running all around, not paying attention to anything, just squeaking everywhere and I'm too fast. Okay, I get it. Okay, I'll slow down. Now, if I slow down, you know, you keep this conversation going. If I slow down, what's my experience? And a bird lands on a tree next to them and stands there looking majestic, you know. So they just, they keep going through this process of this almost magical interaction with nature as a way of getting getting out of the mundane reality and into a higher reality that we are all interconnected and that the nature can reflect us to us. You know, and so I love that one. Yeah, absolutely. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. This is the Mythosophia edition, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom with Dr. Selena Matthews, my co-host. And our special guest is Dr. Cindy Lindsay. And I'm Richard Dugan. Hope you will stay with us as we continue bringing you new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. I wanted to touch upon something that uh, sort of you've talked about, uh, the whole concept of duality and illusion. My favorite mm-hmm. pronunciation of that word by the comedian Lewis Black. It's all an illusion. <laughs> it's an illusion. Um, yeah. Yes, it is. And um, this is the construct I've come up with that I fought or, or struggled with the whole aspect of duality. The ancient wisdom teachings tell us where we come from, the one. The ancient wisdom teachings tell us where we're going to, the one. Then what the heck are we doing here in this quote-unquote dual, dualistic world? So here's the, here's the theory. If you take and look through the Hubble telescope or whatever they've got up there orbiting the earth and you look out into the universe... You see all kinds of stuff moving around, crashing into one another. It's just, it's spectacular. And that's, that's our view of it. Oh, wow. Ooh, ah. You know? And yet it's just doing what it's doing. Now, you take an electron microscope and you take a look at the subatomic particles that are moving around. They're kind of doing the same thing. There's the same general activity going on. Mm-hmm. But when you look at our level where we live... It's fear or happiness or joy or bliss or sadness and anger and frustration. And the thought that came to me was, as I said just a moment ago, the universe is doing what it's doing out there. There's no judgment. The universe isn't saying, oh, my God, the supernova just blew up and now we got stuff flying everywhere and the the universe is a mess. We got to clean it up. Neither are the subatomic particles carrying on that kind of a conversation. So why are we? And what it says to me is sort of like that Chinese story. If you've ever heard the one about the farmer and his son and then the neighbor comes over and every day asks how things are and, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. And the, the farmer says, who's to say what's bad or good? This is just what happens. This is just part of what happens in this universe at this level, at the cosmic level, at the microscopic level. Where does that put me and my philosophy in the context of the hero's journey? Have I sort of said, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't have to have it. When I'm saying, hey, you know, I've been through a divorce. uh, I filed bankruptcy. I've done these things. I've had a great career. And it's just stuff that happens. It's just it's just what is. Mm -hmm. Well, it is just what is. I mean, I'm with you on that. I think from the Vedic tradition, the understanding is that we come into duality as a kind of as a kind of struggle, uh, you know, a struggle that allows us to meet various experiences and find the truth within us, and there, and by doing that, grow the truth within us. So their perspective is that this is a learning field. This is the grand learning mechanism of the divine. Ah. That we we come here. We face things that we couldn't have faced without a body, that we wouldn't have faced if we were in the oneness, that we, that we could only face inside the duality. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, we strengthen, grow, transform our soul nature if we do this well. You know, if we do it poorly, we end up, we end up 
piling on negative karmas and we just face this thing over and over and over again, no matter how many lifetimes we do it. But if we can face it from that perspective of the soul, if we can see it as planets moving, you know, if we can see it as the molecules in in the, in the Petri dish, we, we can gain that mythic perspective to this. Then, then we are actually advancing our own soul energy. We are becoming a greater self. And we are also, in their perspective, in the Veda perspective, increasing the notion of what is God in the process, because we are part of God. Interesting. One other theory I'd like to, to toss your way, and I would certainly enjoy uh, hearing uh, your concepts or your, your thoughts on this also, Selena, having to do with... <clears throat> Uh, having to do with um, our part in the universe, uh, and that is, and that's this: there is um, there is a character in the Star Trek Generation series uh, that I have observed. Roddenberry probably didn't envision it this way, but it's kind of what I picked up from it. That embodies us as spiritual beings and our connectedness. Not the malevolentness of, uh, aspects of the character, but just the structural, the, the infrastructural aspects of it. If you're familiar with the Borg, and every single one of them has a different task. Cindy, you have a different task. Selena, you have a different task. I have a different task. But if we're listening to our inner voice, that still small voice, some people will call it the divine, all kinds of different names, um, they will... Uh, Basically come to the conclusion that, uh, oh, uh, this is my life's purpose and I'm doing it and I'm willing to do it. My goodness, I didn't realize it was in concert with yours, Dr. Cindy, uh, um, uh, Cindy and, and yours too, Dr. Selena. Even though we're all doing different things, we're all interconnected. Uh, what about that aspect of, of understanding our interconnectedness? Well, for me, um, I'm glad you bring up Star Trek because I'm a little bit of a Trekkie. <laughs> uh, I don't wear different clothes or go to conventions, but right, I right. love all this Star Trek. <laughs> and um, in the, the Borg is a hive mind, right? Right. It's a centrally controlled, full control of the being, um, absolute total control of the being. There's no self-will, there's no individuality, and so on. Um, that's almost the illusion in a strange way Um, for me. Mm -hmm. That is that place where we're all just bumping into one another, controlled by media or controlled by our parents or controlled by the circumstances of our lives or whatever. So for me, that's not an example of the kind of interconnectedness we're talking about. That's that hive mind is a lack of individuality. Um, However, the interconnectedness we have has a uniqueness to each one of us that the, in, the, in the divine sense of that interconnectedness, that we are not only a piece of God, but we are a particle of God that is also learning, growing, expanding ourselves, taking choices, making actions, having reactions, which is the basis of karma, by the way. But anyway, so we're in there acting and reacting and choosing and learning and growing. And we, we're shaping our own aspect of the larger God. We're a piece of God, but we're shaping that aspect of God so that God itself grows, his herself grows there. So for me, this is not a hive mind of the, of the board. This is a massively interactive, amazing um, engagement of the oneness with its separate parts and how we grow and expand each other. But I'm not speaking uh, uh, very, I'm not uh, necessarily speaking um, uh, explicitly and literally, but I'm speaking in terms of the way that they are connected. Uh, Mm. They all receive information for their particular task from a central location. Mm -hmm. And there are those who also believe, and I think, I'm trying to remember who it was, the philosopher or psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, what have you, who said that there is only one mind in the universe and that we're all connected to it. 
Well, um, the uh, Vedic wouldn't call it mind because mind is a very different structure for them. But if we're talking about having one higher state of consciousness, one ultimate oneness, I, I think there's an agreement there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Selena. Yes. Your thoughts on this aspect of our interconnectedness. Uh, I'm sure you've seen other television programs aside from Star Trek, which I'm also a, a big fan of. I started watching the Next uh, Generation series as our modern day mythology, as it was described to me by a good friend of mine. And uh, there have been movies and television shows where it shows, let's say, three or four different stories that are totally independent of one another. But as you f go further into the episode or the movie, all of a the sudden they start to intersect one after another. And that's kind of like how our lives are. We have no clue as who we're going to come across. I'm, I'm just so fascinated, intrigued, and excited by this interaction with the three of us here on this program. And who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who would have thought? But here we are. Um, I, I love, uh, I think the process that we go through of engaging with each other every day is co-creating our, our lives. And in this way, we've co-created this, this, this trinity that the three of us that, that are speaking, and this is going to then affect a lot of other people that are, are going to view this. So in, in a small way, this little grouping is going to have a, a great effect on a lot of people. And Richard, in your work, you have a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, you affect a lot of people all the time. So I think that, you know, our, our little drop is a drop, what Cindy refers to, it's like, it's a drop and these drops further and they make a pond eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what I think, yeah. but I want to go somewhere else. You know what I want to go to? I want to go to the mythic journey of this country. Oh, very uh, good. And, and this country is on a mythic journey. And I know that there is a myth that uh, Dr. Lindsay wanted to talk about that uh, is from the Vedic tradition that represents exactly what we are going through. Uh, nothing is new in the universe. So, Dr. Lindsay, can you uh, talk about that myth? Yeah, it's the Mahabharata. And um, that in the, in, included in that is the Bhagavad Gita. And some people may have heard of both of these. Mahabharata is a, is a very long, they consider it a history rather than a myth, but a very, very long magical story of the nature of humankind. And it's there, it centers on two families, the Pandavas and Kabavas. And these, they're actually related. So there's that interrelationship thing that we were just talking about. There are two, there are two families, but they're the same family. And they're actually warring over the control of the kingdom. So hello, where are we now? You know, like we are, we are this family of man, but we are separate families warring over control over one thing or another thing. And there's a long, it's a, it's a huge, amazing tome. It's, it's written in slokas and um, it's, a, it's in verse, it's a poem. It's probably the longest poem in, in history. And it, we don't normally engage it as the poem form, most of us, because we don't read Sanskrit. We usually engage it as a novelized form or something else, but or translated. But it's this, it has all sorts of twists and turns, and the whole thing is absolutely fabulous. I totally recommend it for people. We're going to take a tiny, itsy-bitsy slice out of it today to talk about this relationship to where we're at in our timing now. But there are Sanskrit scholars and um, Vedic scholars and all sorts of huge people who have done amazing work at translating this and talking about it. I recommend all of that. Please excuse my shortcut to get to where we want to go. But inside this story, there are the Pandavas who are in general connected to light and goodness and happiness. And there are the Karavas who are more into greed and anger and, and submission and things like this. So we have our good guys and our bad guys in this story. And one of the sons of the Pandavas is called Arjuna. And Arjuna is, has, was grown up as a warrior. 
He was taught the ways of war since the very beginning of his life. He's the greatest archer in the land. This is his sole purpose. This is his dharma, to be a warrior. This is what he grew up for and what he stands for. So that at some point in time, during this long tome, uh, after many things have happened, the, the two families end up in a war, in a, in a large war. And it is at the beginning of that war that Krishna, who is the god image in this, uh, this long poem, is <laughs> there, and, and he's helping the good guys. And that's actually an interesting part of the story. And the, the, at some point, Krishna gives the two warring sides before the war begins, gives them a choice. One side can have him, can have God on their side, and the other one can have all of his chariots and arrows and weapons and so on. And of course, our Pandavas, our good guys, choose having God or Krishna on their side. And the other side is loaded with all the weapons. So here they enter into this war. And Arjuna, who has been his whole life told he needs, to, you know, what he needs to do in this situation, finds himself frozen for the first time entering a battle ever. He finds himself completely frozen there. He's looking at all sides and he's realizing that everybody here is his relative. Every person here is someone he's known his whole life on both sides. And there's going to be a huge decimation of everybody on both sides if he goes forward with being the warrior that he's meant to be. And he's just, he's stunned with that. And he's ready to turn around and go. And Krishna is there with him. And uh, Krishna gives him uh, that essential shift of consciousness. You see, there is Arjuna in our why God moment. Why is this happening? And he has God there to answer him in that. And the, and Krishna's instruction to Arjuna is called the Bhagavad Gita. It's the, it's the, it's the inset into this longer Mahabharata is the Bhagavad Gita. And that Bhagavad Gita is the map to our current times. It is God's answer to what do you do when you're sitting in a time of utter destruction, when you're sitting in a time when you're frozen and can't see a way out and don't know what to do. When you're there in that moment, what is, what is it you need to know? What is it you need to shift to go forward? And that Bhagavad Gita is an amazing, amazing chunk of that larger poetic endeavor of that history of humankind. And it talks about uh, three main yogas, bhakti yoga, which is devotion, uh, karma yoga, which is right action, doing the right things, which, which ultimately leads to dharma. And jiva, uh, yana yoga, rather, yana yoga, which leads to, which is the yoga of knowledge. And some people may know like Vedanta or things in modern times are based on yana yoga, for example. And he connects that to the nature of the soul and the atman and the atma and the jiva. And he connects that to dharma and he connects that to everything. And he's giving this long dissertation on the nature of how God works, basically, to Arjuna. But Arjuna's struggling. He's thinking like, well, okay, I get this, but I don't under, I don't really get this. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what to do with that. And so Krishna gives a gift, there, which is the gift we're trying to give in healing when we give this to people. It's the gift of this living your mythic journey state of consciousness. Mm. Krishna gives a gift there which is Vishvadarshan, which means, uh, Vishva means totality, everything. And darshan is to see it. So he gives him, it's an it's a aspect of Krishna's true form. Krishna is God. Krishna is everything. Krishna is the Vishva, is the, is the totality of all things. So he shows, he gives him actually special vision so that he can see it. He shows Arjuna the true nature of God, the everything that it was just so overwhelming to Arjuna that he can barely hold it. He's shaking in his body, but he's watching all the worlds and all the human beings and all the things. And he's realizing that every, everybody is a piece of this God, that everybody is, does have a piece of God within them, that everybody on that battlefield on both sides is a piece of God in a larger play of God in the larger 
mythic journey of God him herself. And he really then, from that experience, gets it inside his own being. That that total immersion into the mythic journey, actually, the truth of God, the actual the actions of God that are happening, that this isn't just a war between two families. This is a war between dark and light. This is a war at the end of a time period that will determine, will, will sow the seeds, that destruction, entering into that destruction in that way is going to sow the seeds for the next creation. That this has to happen. And it, that somebody standing for the good and for the light has to fight this war. Otherwise, those seeds aren't there for the next creation that's about to come. You know, that's, and that's an interesting, I will call it a paradox because then when we take a look at our modern world in the last, let's just say 150 years, maybe even 200 years of this country in particular, you could almost say that these conflicts, these wars that we have fought, we've been a part of, including our revolutionary and civil wars, were part of that process of uh, destruction, construction, or creation. Uh, you know, death and live life, and death and life, and death and life. Uh, and yet there are those of us who sit here going, I don't want any more war. Stop it. Stop fighting. Stop playing this stupid game. And it sounds to me like from, from these ancient uh, teachings... It's saying it's not about whether we do or don't fight. It's that when we do, there is a cosmic purpose for these conflicts. Is that is that a fair assessment? Well, um, I, I'm not uh, pro-war. No, no, no. I understand. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> I know you don't think I am. But, but the idea that there is going to always be a destruction, those cycles, that is center of the Vedic tradition. You know, we're going through cycles of lives. We're going through, we live, we die. There are three main deities, the one who creates, the one who maintains, and the one who destroys, that we are going through these cycles of creation, maintenance, and destruction constantly. That is the nature of this universe. That is the nature of this reality, that, that it goes through those cycles. And it, as you, you're going to have a destruction, you're going to die. Each one of us is going to leave this body. That's one form of destruction. This war for Arjuna is, is that is walking into that destructive moment after this long play has brought him there. There will be a destruction. There'll be a destruction whether we want to have it be a destruction or not. And how we enter into that destruction, how we meet it from the state of our souls, from the state of our connection or devotion to God, from the state of our right action, from the state of our knowledge of the truth of all things, that those three yogas, how we enter into that destruction changes the next creation. So if we really want a higher creation here, we can't just desire it into being. We have to walk into the destruction. Every destruction begets a creation. They mm. are related. We have to walk into that destruction from a state of the higher self, of the higher soul, of the mythic gene. It sounds to me like um, this process is is uh, something that we have to we have to understand that we are going to go through it. I mean, you you, you know you can't escape that. From the, from the standpoint, uh, and whether or not we as human beings have conflicts, the universe, as I described earlier, it's in constant motion. We could be hit by a meteor or a, a comet in the next five seconds, and there's the destruction. And we didn't, mm -hmm. we didn't actually do it by the same token. Then you have to ask yourself... Well, was that part of the law of attraction? <laughs> you know, well, there what? is a law of attraction happening, that's for sure. What yeah, we attend yeah. to, we give energy to. But that's the whole point of attending to it at a larger level, too. Yeah. You know, because what our attention gives energy and our attention locks us into a state of consciousness with respect to something. Yeah. So, yeah, there's an attraction energy, but what are we attracting? That would be the best right. question. 
Dr. Cindy Lindy and my co-host, Dr. Uh, Serena Matthews, is my are my guests. Selena Matthews, pardon me, and we're talking about the mythic, uh, the mythology of the hero's journey. And you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, the Mythosophia edition, here on this station, on the podcast, as well as on the videocast. That's right, we're on YouTube, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio. We're also on Amazon Music, as well as on this fine station. And you can listen to these programs by going to those locations or... I have the podcasts all set up uh, through the players on richarddugan.com. So we hope that you will um, avail yourself of the Mythosophia series. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And I love these conversations. I want to um, touch upon a little bit here, a little bit more of the hero's journey, because there are times in our lives when we're not on that journey. And sometimes I guess... There are those who, um, for whatever reasons, they wish they were, you know, you know, I want to be the hero, you know, and I don't know whether chauvinism and when I say that or not chauvinism, chivalry, chivalry is what the word I want. Uh, I'm living in a paradox of sorts as a man, because on the one hand, women and I'm sitting here speaking with 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 not two, but with two women who are very independent, I'm sure, who are very self-assured, very confident in themselves and their abilities. And yet, at the same time, I sit here going, okay, my mother and father, they raised me to show courtesy and kindness, open doors, open jars, do those kinds of things. And yet, here we are in the 21st century, and boy, I don't know anymore, because if I do any of those things, I could be accused of... I don't know, toxic masculinity or any of these other things. And now I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a hole. Does, does, is, is there a, 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 mis, a mythological archetype uh, in regards to dealing with uh, the, the, the sexes in this respect in terms of uh, our, um, our ability to be able to live together without saying, no, get away? Get away. No, I can take care of this myself. You don't need to come in here. Or I love this, uh, this phrase mansplaining that I hear, you know, women say, don't, you don't need to mansplain. But I get the same con- context or construct from women. Okay, they will say something to me. I got it. And then they want to explain it to me. I don't know what that's called. Uh, female splaining. <laughs> but can, can either of you or both of you, uh, talk to talk to that. Well, let me wait in for a moment there because I think what you're what you're talking about is where we've come to by not being our heroes, Jean. Aha! That that we have there have been pains and there have been abuses and there's been you know masculine abuse of feminine and then there's the feminine response to that and then there's and that's duality, masculine and feminine is part of this duality, part of this illusion. That we've gone rounds and rounds and rounds of this over millions of years. I don't know how many millions of years, thousands of years at least. We've gone rounds and rounds of this. And now everybody's entrenched into their, their latest position. The latest position being the one that you were describing your experiences. Mm-hmm. But it's never going to be solved from within that place. Uh, that, that all human beings have to go back to those essential values of kindness and caring and and respect and and which are part of the high self, part of the high soul. That it's only when we all go back there and we start from that perspective, from that mythic journey's perspective, looking at it, that we can heal those wounds that happened over those many years of time that brought us to this stance now where we find ourselves pushing against one another in one way or another. What do you think, Selena? Well, I think the archetype of the masculine is the archetype of the masculine. I think there's only, you know, the, the, there's only one archetype of the masculine. It's provide, please, and protect. And in whatever possibility it is. The problem is the culture has um, the culture, the wounding, the victim, victimization of people has changed the focus from what a man should be. And because men have not been uh, following through 
in the way that they should. And women have not been following through in the way that they also should, should be in terms of the archetype. We have a confusion and nobody knows what the truth or how to be is. And that is where we're at. We're in a state of confusion. And I hear this every day in my practice. Nobody knows what the right thing is to do. Should I ghost, uh, you know, I don't want to tell them I don't want to see them again. So I just will ghost them. Like no one can communicate their truths. We have to go back to the essential nature of truth. And that's missing in in our communications with men and women. Mm. Well, I love the fact that we're communicating pretty doggone good here on this program. Tell me your story, the Myth of Sophia edition, and I appreciate your input. I grew up with four sisters and a mother. My brother and I and my father were on the uh, minority end, but it wasn't the kind of situation where, like the Supreme Court, you know, you've got, okay, there's five votes over there. We get three. We're going to lose every time. No, there was there was collaboration. You, you know what? I can't even remember a time, and I've actually thought about this, where I ever saw my parents fighting or arguing over whatever. Um, and and I found that so fascinating. And in spite of the challenges of raising six, I don't want to say hellions, but, you know, some people might if they were to take a look back at my past one anyway. I want to thank both of you for uh, being a part of this program. This is fascinating. And uh, Dr. Uh, Cindy Lindsay, I, I always ask my guests three final questions on okay. all of the derivations of Tell Me Your Story. <clears throat> and this is one of three at the present time, which is kind of cool. Uh, and I will ask you those questions as soon as I tell you, the listener and the viewer, that we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and then we are also here for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. Don't miss it. We also encourage you to uh, listen live at those times at richarddugan.com. We have a listen live link. We are streaming. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, as well as iHeart and Amazon Music and many other locations on the Internet. And you can watch these interviews at YouTube. Tell me your story and Richard Dugan, just look for the guy with the hat, okay? There is another Tell Me Your Story channel, but that's not me. I hope that you will do that, and I hope that uh, you will also consider supporting us financially. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours, and we thank you so much for supporting us, those of you who have, and those of you who will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We also ask that you participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where we encourage you to go within. This is an area we didn't really talk about in this particular program, about our intuition, about that still small voice. Although I suppose we did in a sense, uh, uh, Dr. Lindsay, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, sort of that consciousness that we're trying to raise and so forth. So there was a, a bit of a connection there. So I hope that you folks will do that. I hope that you will take that time. And one of my guests said, even if you just do it for 60 seconds, okay, just 60 seconds, that's all you need. So do it. Take the time to do it, okay? So to my guest, uh, Dr. Cindy Lindsay, I want to, uh, again, thank you for joining us and giving us so much time. And for my first of three questions, the first is, who is Cindy Lindsay? I'm a piece of God trying to discover that within myself. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? For everyone to feel that inside themselves. For every person to be touched at that place of light within them. For everyone to have that experience. For everyone to hold that as the truth of themselves and walk in this world from that place. And finally, what is your life's purpose i'm here as healer and teacher i'm here as aspirant and, and learner um, but i'm also here to convey that to others in some way i think that's my purpose well dr uh, dr Lindsay, thank you again for joining us here on the program and uh dr selena 
Matthews, thank you for joining me again as co-host. I really hope that we get a chance to do these again and and uh, do more of them. These I'm I'm getting used to the idea of having a co-host. It's it's actually kind of fun to have other questions from a different mind uh, on the program. Great to be here. Thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.